When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. It is an honor, a pleasure, and a privilege to bring... You hear me say this. You hear me say this often. Like, hey, this is a friend of mine. This is, a, you know, a person that I work with, a counterpart, a co-conspirator. But when I say this, I say this in all sincerity. Yaro Craner is one of my very best friends of my whole life, of my whole existence. He helped change my trajectory in a way that was so foundational to my belief in myself and the, to see the importance of the work And he doesn't just do that for me. He's done that for literally tens of thousands of human beings. Now, you might think I'm about to say, Yaro Craner is a motivational speaker. He is absolutely not. He's very motivational, for sure. He's very inspirational, absolutely. But he is a man of action. I met Yaro in about 2014. We were introduced by a dear friend who said, you have to meet Yaro Craner. And I was like, is that his real name? Because that's amazing. She said, it is. And we jumped on a call and I found myself two weeks later on a plane to Bozeman, Montana, where we were with a convening of about 100 superheroes. And I say that word with all sincerity. I mean, people who are working on everything from the ozone layers, continual health, to regenerative agriculture, to the front lines of DACA marching, and everybody in between. And Yaro has co-created and created communities for the last 15 plus years that work on changing the trajectory of the world as we know it. He describes himself sometimes as a creative alchemist. I love that language, a community builder. And his efforts in this part of his life directly support people working on global challenges. He values community. And when I say he has a poetic vision for what the world could be, I mean that it is poetry that moves into action. I've got to witness it for almost 10 years. I could go on and on and on, but I will not because I want Yarrow to tell you a little bit about him too. And then I'm going to dig into some beautiful analogous stories. Yarrow, my brother, love you. Welcome. Mark, what a pleasure. What, a, what an honor. Thank you. Man, my pleasure. And you know, my, my mind camera is running through, running through the jungles of Panama with you or setting up design thinking sprint labs on like the tip of a remote city in France and everything else that we've done together. But today, why those things are possible and why I've followed you all around the globe and, and vice versa is because we believe in action and we believe in the urgency of action right now. And so before we go any further, how do you introduce yourself these days? I've, I've introduced you in all the ways I know, but what do you say? Well, I mean, depends a little bit on the context, but founder of Hatch, a nonprofit that gathers people that are on the front lines of systems change and bringing them together to build ecosystems to amplify the work and try to accelerate solutions for global and local challenges. Um, But sometimes I'm just, you know, Tate's stepdad on a soccer field. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, you are, which is a new role. So seeing Yarrow as a dad, I've seen Yarrow run around literally with a backpack and a laptop out all over the world trying to bring people to accelerated solution. And now seeing you as a family man is one of the greatest gifts for not only you and the family, but for all of your friends who love you so much. And I think I want to start us um, with a quote, one of my favorite quotes of yours, which is, we're in an all-hands-deck moment in time. There's a race between consciousness and catastrophe. Now, tell me the poetic doesn't come out in this. There's a race between consciousness and catastrophe. This is it. This is the literal statement that will define our generations. We know what the catastrophes are. We are faced with them the second we open our device every day. We are faced with them every time we turn on a television. We are faced with them literally driving down the main streets of all of the different weather that we are facing, which is only going to get worse. But we are also at this moment of consciousness just rapidly expanding and people seeing how we are connected. The mycelium of the planet, as you also like to say, the mycelium of us. And to finish that quote, and I realize there's nothing more important than trying to support those on the front lines working on global challenges. So how do we best do that, Yaro? How do we best get behind the people on the front lines working on these challenges in this moment? If I am in Idaho on a farm listening to this, if I am in Nova Scotia on a fishing boat listening to this, how do I support people on the front lines? Well, that's a really good question. You know, there's a Jane Goodall quote that is one of my favorites. And she's like, you know, 2,000 years from now, there will be a species very much like our own that's evolved, wondering, looking back how we could, you know, looking back and wondering how we could let all these other species just perish. And yet there's still so much worth fighting for. And we are really in this um, delicate tipping point right now in terms of how close we're going to be in, in living long-term, uh, you know, the planet will be fine, it'll rebound. But in terms of the human species, um, we have to do a lot of work on reforestation and healthier soils to draw down the carbon that's been emitted, uh, that's already creating this, you know, two to three foot ocean rise within the lifetime of our children, which will create mass migration for billions of people. So, you know, but if you just start in your backyard, because sometimes that can feel so overwhelming, donating one or two Saturdays a month to local gardens or, you know, tree reforestation issues. I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done. It really sort of depends on what strikes your heart chords. But if everyone was doing something small, then we would be in a much better place. If everyone invested in their own backyards and communities, we would be a much more beautiful world. Yeah, and that's a beautiful zoom out to zoom too. And I think there is, and we know this, and we get to experience it through the youth, um, which is this climate anxiety has never been at a level that's this high. Like when we grew up, we knew that things were happening. And I think our time was the ozone layer, right? It's like, oh my God, our, our skin's going to burn off our flesh. And then the ozone layer actually was getting repaired. And we're like, oh, okay, great. We're in good shape but didn't see the hundreds of other circumstances that were actually contributing to where we are now. And I think the most challenging part, particularly for our youth who seem, I don't know, man, kids are smarter than me. That's let me just say that as a full, full blown sentence, you know, nine to 14 year old kids that we interact with are just smarter and they have the information. So we didn't have the information. We didn't have every bit of information that's ever been created in our pockets growing up and they do. And so there's just got to be this point of truth and reconciliation to, hey, yeah, we know this has happened and this is how we're working on it, but it feels like we're in this space of denial. How does that all reconcile for you on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, how do you keep pushing through 
particularly surrounded by youth who are very active in this. How does that all reconcile from you? Like, how do you work on that day to day for you personally? Well, me personally, I mean, I, I feel lucky to have an 18-year-old daughter in our house that is quite activist-minded and extremely aware of everything that's happening in the world, and so are her peers. And you know, there's, a, there's a youth aspect to everything that we do at Hatch, so you'll be sitting you know, at a table with UN ambassadors with 16-year-old kids uh, also at that table. And they're in the conversation, and oftentimes they're the ones that are sort of holding uh, the adults to task, you know, like mm. to accountability. Um, you know, one example is all these plastics that are in the oceans that are like grinding up in the microplastics now, ending up in our food and water streams and so forth. And, and you know, it's, it's in the full sort of precipitation uh, evaporation cycle and found in mountain streams in Canada, Montana, Europe. So we had Dow Chemical, Nestle, Procter Gamble, Unilever on board with Greenpeace, Ocean Conservancy, World Wildlife Fund, Five Gyres, these sort of historically adversarial relationships all working together on these different impact labs on different parts of the boat. And, you know, a dozen funded initiatives came out of that and led to the formation of the Ocean Plastics Network, which led to the Ocean uh, or the Plastics Treaty uh, that was signed by the UN in March of 2020 of this year. But there was a moment on that boat where, you know, someone stood up from a several hundred billion dollar company, it's like a 20, $20 billion dollar company, um, and said that, you know, we pledge to do this by 2060. And this 20-year-old from Stanford stood up and was like, that is way too long from now. Like, like nothing, nothing good will come from waiting that long. You need to move that mm -hmm. timeline up. And it was such a uh, salient moment that, you know, I got the 20-year-old kid from Stanford who stands up against this really powerful C-level executive and just tells him, this is what's up. Like, you're way behind. I think that um, the SDGs, which were supposedly going to be, you know, originally designed to be solved by 2030, were not on task for that. Um, someone came out recently and said that we're on tr track to solve them by 2095. Um, I, I still find that hard to believe because it's like if you solve every problem in the world, like, you're in, like, pure harmony, right? And to do that, you have to completely reshovel shelves some systems, some like significant systems, capitalism. I mean, you have to rethink a lot in order for that to even happen. A hundred percent. So folks, when we say the SDGs, we mean the, the UN put out a roadmap called the Sustainable Development Goals. And those Sustainable Development Goals were uh, another great dear friend of ours, Jeff Leitner, actually spent three years researching how they intertwine with each other. Because one was like, no kid hungry, and another's like poverty. And there was no map on which one you attacked first and like how they would then counter lever each other. And, you know, whenever I'm out in the world working on this stuff and I've been working directly on these for the last seven years, it, when I talk to folks now, it used to be like, oh, I focus on food, sovereignty, security. This is what I do. Now it's all 19. It's all partnership or bust. It's like if we don't, if we are not fully focused on collaboration and partnership, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And this is one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show today because there's simply nobody better on the planet at creating the container and the space for collaboration at speed. And without this collaboration, without these networks, talking about what has to be done, without these moments, our children's children don't have a planet that's inhabitable the way that we did. You are on Better with my brother, Yaro Craner. 
I hope that last sentence got him as fired up as it got me. We'll be right back. Don't move. Folks, welcome back to Better. We are with my brother, Yaro Craner. And what's been nice about these first segments is we've been laddering and setting up the next parts of the conversation around not only his professional expertise and his background, and we'll get to some more of that later, but to what's urgent and what's important. I think that we got too caught up societally with our resume. What is it that you do? What is it that you do professionally? What did you study? Therefore, what are you able to execute? And to think that you have an idea of what your trajectory should be and be locked into at the ages of 16, 17, 18, and therefore that will be the only thing that you will be defined as for the rest of your life is insanity. We are all polymaths. We are all capable of anything that we choose. And that is one of the centering design principles of Hatch which is how can we break you out into all of the beautiful things you were always meant to be? And when we talk about Hatch, I, I think the easiest way for me to describe it to people is like, you know when you introduce those two friends that you knew had to meet and they did the thing that you knew they were going to do together? Well, imagine that times 100, times four times a year, times forever. And those people are actually trying to save all of us. And so that's, it feels like the depth, we call it, you know, designing at speed, the depth of which those introductions are made and the intention of which they're made is so big. And for you, it's second nature, but take us back a few steps on how, how Hatch is created uh, and, and why it's created. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we all have sort of an origin story, of course, um, things that shape us when we're young. I had a single parent mom. She walked out of an abusive relationship when I was two and a half years old, said she was going to the grocery store and never looked back. Uh, I had 25 cents in her pocket, and I just always had a lot of admiration for her work ethic and working four jobs, five jobs at a time to put herself through college, and and we were very poor. And, you know, even in that moment, it was still felt a little bit more like an adventure than anything else. And I think that sort of continued to shape how I would go find people on the fringes and and collect them. And I remember when I first met you, you were like, what, really, superhero? That sounds like BS. And uh, (laughs) there was a a little bit of a learning curve there for like, oh, he means it. And I remember having that conversation with you, which was quite fun. So that was sort of the origin story. You know, I think a lot of times, modern day society, we were given athletes and entertainers to sort of idolize and there is the everyday person that is doing extraordinary things. And you either are sort of tapped into what you're meant to do in the world or you have the potential to. And so either one, like we're all born with this extraordinary power within us. And as we learn to sort of tap into that and unleash that human potential, uh, that becomes the gift to the world. And, and then it's sort of our duty to help others do the same. And that's been sort of the philosophy that I've been you know, operating by for the last 20 years. Mm. Well, I've, I've been very blessed to catch half of that and watch people get accelerated and pushed into a space. And what's, what's so interesting is everything that you've just said, where we come from because of the world that we live in and athletes and, you know, movie stars are centered. There's such a cynical lens in 
what, what is this person trying to do or what are they trying to get out of me? And there's so few spaces where you can actually drop your guard and let that go away. And yet there's never been a more critical time to actually be able to trust. And in trust is at an all-time low, right? So where do those two things bridge? And I'm, what I've found is the gift of the exponential gift uh, of Hatch and the network of it is that you take that trust out and then you spread that trust and you create those same pockets of influence in the places where you live. And so we've got to experience dropping into those all over the world together and creating them all over the world together as well. And the gifts that you've heard on this show for the first 21, 22, 23 episodes, many of them come from this network, Dr. Sylvia Earle, Samantha Ramirez, actor Tim Daly. They are part of this network and are gifts from Yarrow to all of us. And so having him here to talk more about why these collaborations and how these collaborations, because I've watched this man go four or five days with no sleep to ensure one pivotal moment happens of understanding and awakening. And so, Yaro, I'm going to bring it back to you, and this is going to be a battle for the next 20 minutes because I know you deflect so heavily, but why and how? When you learn what you learn, when you see what you see, when you know how dire it is, how do you keep getting up in the morning to do this? Well, it's a little bit, you know, hearkening back to that Jane Goodall quote, there's still so much worth fighting for. And I get inspired by the people that I get to meet, you know, you, you Mark. Um, that's what gets me up in the morning. And I think that one of my favorite parts about Hatch, which is in its 19th year and I think 27th summit, something like that, um, it continues to iterate, and the, the hatch is an organization, it is an organism. It's like made up of all the some of the parts of all the people that are in that community and network, and they feed each other. And so, what we originally created as sort of a, a top down mentorship model, where we thought seasoned veterans would be mentoring this next generation, is a top down, bottom up, and peer to peer. And we curate for really diverse domains and industries and ethnicities and pers- perspectives and generations and that diversity is what creates these different sort of perspectives on those challenges. You know, the, the thesis being that if you have a bunch of area experts scanning the problem, they get the sort of 2D output of that problem. But if you have diverse perspectives, generations, ethnicities at a, a round table, you know, scanning that challenge, you're going to get this sort of three-dimensional holographic output. And that's where you daylight the blind spots, where are the acupuncture points of you know, innovation and systems change lie, and that they're, they're, they're horizons expanders. And so when you're sitting in a room, you're listening to an astronomer, you're listening to, you know, actor Tim Daly, who's also the president of the Creativity Coalition, um, the Creative Coalition, and as a champion for creativity, as a way to, you know, everything that we, like, wear, drive, live in is, like, from an idea, right? And yet all these arts, arts classes are getting sliced and diced in, in courses. And if we lose our creativity, we're stuck with every, everything that's already in textbooks and nothing new. So what gets me up in the morning are people within the Hatch community that are on the front lines of you know, sort of this transformational systems change. And that's what keeps me moving forward. It's super important. And so I think, you know, you'll send me something really excitedly, right? And so, you know, my text story with Yaro looks like often YouTube links or a Spotify song or something along those lines and, and very little context because he knows that, you know, we'll get it. It's like, just look how beautiful this is, right? And I think exposing people to the beauty of things amongst the maelstrom of negativity is, is the task often. Is just, that's, that's the, the show, right? That's the... 
when I think about we we had Rhett Butler on the show a few weeks ago in Monga Bay, and like I didn't even know what Monga Bay was until a climate summit with a dear friend of ours at Sun Valley Institute. He gets up on stage, and I see blue parrots and all of these images. As a photographer, he creates this entire media platform about what's going on with climate and the world and just what's possible. And I don't know about it because I'm getting inundated by the lowest common denominator at all times because it's being paid to inundate me, right? I'm, I'm just getting hit with all of these things. So where can I find hope? And I think one of the core design principles of having you on the show today was you eat, breathe, sleep, hope. It's something that just naturally comes out of your pores. And so when I say, I was setting you up a little bit, when I say, you know, how do you keep getting up in the morning? You get up out of bed at a relentless pace, right? And just, it never seems to slow down. And you and I have heard so many things together and witnessed things that are heartbreaking. Where you're like, I don't know what, how we look out of this. And you're like, yeah, but look over here at this thing that is still happening. And so if you had a list or just one thing, as I say that, of course, you know, popcorn and coming to the top of your mind. What are some of the things that give Yarrow Crane our hope today at the end of this beautiful summer? Well, definitely the next generation, um, highly informed and also sort of drawing a line in the sand with larger companies. Like suddenly purpose is becoming a competitive landscape. And if companies aren't creating that on-ramp for young generations to come work for their company but also have a way to create more purpose and impact they're going to lose out on their best talent and so companies are becoming a little bit more savvy around uh, employee engagement and workforce mobilization and and how to create those on-ramps for their employees to get involved in the things that they're passionate about so um, the next generation is definitely one of those but you know it's interesting as you're as you were sort of describing that a moment ago i was thinking about our friend john hagel who was the, he was at Deloitte for many years and they gave him his own center of research called the Center for the Edge. And one of his uh, areas of research was around passion and also hope. And, you know, I asked him, I called him at the very, like, very beginning of COVID. I'm like, John, you know, he has got all these Silicon Valley CEOs that he coaches and, and consults with. And I'm like, are all your clients calling you? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what are they asking? He's like, well, how to get back to normal? I'm like, what do you tell them? Like, not to get back to normal because normal is broken. It's like, well, all right, so how do you create, you know, how do you start moving the needle with these like large corporations to become a little bit more thoughtful and regenerative? And he's like, well, you don't really change the companies. You change or inspire the leaders within those companies. And that's through aspirational storytelling. And so the idea of, you know, Sitting in the murk of where we are right now and sort of accepting that is not productive. But to think about the aspirational outcomes, the aspirational futures that we want and move toward those and reverse engineer what we need to do to aspire to accomplish those aspirational futures, that's where it's at. And, you know, we're having similar conversations with people at NASA and JPL around, you know, engaging young people to dream up these aspirational futures and then figuring out ways in which we can help support the um, manifestation of those. And um, that's, I think it's the only way. Otherwise, you just, you, you burn out. And if we, if we're, cons- you know, <laughs> I have to sort of put myself on um, like a news diet because every time you open it up, it's really depressing, right? Uh, increasingly. And 
if you sort of live in that reality without the hopeful stories and the inspiring stories and the people that are overcoming odds, uh, they're the, the light that we need to be following, not the ones where uh, it makes you want to sort of give up on everything that's happening in humanity right now. Mm, I feel, feel that, like literally felt it in my body as you were saying it. There's a weight that goes along with it, and that burnout is extraordinarily real. And I think there is just a, the danger, and what we're seeing a lot of, is go for mine mentality. I only got this much. This is what's going on. I'm going to be with people who hate like I hate, and this is how we're going to go about doing things. And this is where we're at. I read a stat this morning, which, you know, again, where do stats come from? You and I are very well versed with the aggregates of data, and it's at 48% of people in the United States believe a civil war is coming soon. 48% of people polled. And so that kind of information is just dangerous. And it's, it's completely unhelpful to where we're trying to go because when we say collaboration and reparation, that can't be the stat that we are blasting all over the internet on a Monday or Tuesday morning. We've gotta, we gotta be doing better. Folks, you are on better. Keep it locked, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Better. I'm your host, Mark Brand. We are with Yaro Craner, creative alchemist, collaborator at Speed, Hope Maestro. Let's let's throw that one in there. Maestro of Hope. That's um, you know, I've the work that I do and the work that we do in the world can be overwhelming and consuming. I spent my day walking yesterday through uh, a crime scene, quote unquote, with another overdose death, uh, which are every day on my blocks, um, literally wading through waste because humans don't have enough to eat. As I walk to my kitchen where we're making 1,500 meals, which needs to be 15,000, it, it all, that is not painting a picture of doom and gloom. That's painting a picture of reality. And in our reality, we design for it. And there's been more than a dozen times in the last couple of years where I've just simply had to pick up the phone and to hear your voice tell me something good. Uh, And that's what a hope maestro does, but it's also what friends do. And I think that friendship is such a critical part of hope and reality-based friendship where it's like, man, I know things are just, it's a lot. It's just a lot. And it's, it never stops being a lot. We, are, and I've heard you use this analogy before, we got to be very mindful that we're not the frog that doesn't know they're in the boiling pot, that we're, we're looking for the scraping the sides and trying to get out and, you know, trying to turn off the temperature for everybody else. And that's, that's what friends do. And, you know, your friendship is critical to me and to many others. And, and we have friends who are critical to us. And, you know, I wanted to talk about friendship and I want to take us a little bit on a right turn because I think that we've been bred to be transactional in those and to actually get anywhere that we need to get to, we can't be, we can't be. And so, you know, you've always exemplified what being a great friend is to me uh, and, and have been that for me in so many instances uh, over our 10 years together. Likewise, but what does it mean? Thank you, man. What does it mean to show up for you? What does it mean to, to be a friend? What does it mean to blur those lines in collaboration and business and friendship and the challenges? What does that, how does that work, Yarrow? Well, there, there is an interesting balance, I think, between um, the work of, 
when you're in sort of impact work, you get uh, you tend to think about you know larger numbers of people and how many you could how you can impact at scale and the metrics of that and so forth. And you can get a little bit lost in that. And and sometimes it's the one. And you know, if someone calls you and your friends, like you need to sort of drop everything to be able to address that one. And it's a it's a it's a sort of tension balance sometimes because especially in, in the hatch network is like there's a lot of people to that we're sort of in service of and but I don't know it's like nothing like if you're moving through this world without people that have your back and people that care about you good bad and the ugly and that know you all you and all of your sort of scars and, and everything else if you're moving through the world alone um, it's a lot I don't know it's like it doesn't feel as hopeful and and the friends like you and and others that I have uh, that are very close, um, they're the ones that sort of keep putting fuel under uh, under the efforts. And so, I mean, I, as you know, like if I'll be in the middle of something and and there's been a couple moments when you've reached out to me and it was just like drop everything, like 100% attention, like what? T- tell me what's happening and. It's part of why we're here, you know. It's it's the it's the humanity of it. It's being able to be of service to each other and to exchange love and inspiration in those moments of of darkness. Because especially in this work that we're doing, like as you mentioned, it can sometimes you need like a little bit of a a, a light at the end of the tunnel to be able to know that you're still going in the right direction. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully stated, and I think. We're just inundated also on the flip side of that with relational advice <laughs> via memes or, or slide nine screens across to see if the, the, you have a good friend or you don't and all of the things that are putting us under the evaluation of it. I think, you know, what you've also taught me um, over our friendship is like y- you can feel into these things, that it's critical to feel into things and to, to get out of your brain and it's moved from evaluation into your heart center. Um one of the gifts that Yarrow has given me and us and, and we've shared together is our dear friend, Alan Macy. And Alan is coming up on the show soon. You know, you're, you're welcome in advance. Uh, we were in Mexico City doing a retreat post-COVID to, to reconvene a bunch of friends. And Alan brought me a little box and he says, I've got something for you. And now just to give you an idea, Alan is literally one of the most brilliant scientists of our entire generations, like three on either side. This is one of the smartest men that walks the planet. And he clips this little thing on me and puts two little pasties around my heart. And it's just got one little LED and it starts blinking and he turns it on. And I'm like, okay, what does this do? What are we researching? What are we studying? He's like, it doesn't do any of that. It just shows your heartbeat. And I was like, for for what purpose? And he's like, that is the purpose. So people can see your heartbeat. And I start crying instantly. I'm just like, tears are running down my face. And I'm like, that's really beautiful, Alan. He's like, yeah, but it, it is. It is really beautiful. And just walks away. And we are met with friends like that because we allow ourselves to be open to friends like that. And I think one of the things that you just set us up for in this is like, we're so closed and we're so defensive, right? Our views are so entrenched and we also know they're wrong. 
<laughs> and that they could change on a dime and everything we know might not be anything we know. And we're just trying to grasp onto some normalcy, but we know that love and friendship and camaraderie and hope and admiration and respect govern the things that actually get done. And so in this few minutes here, give us some rapid fire things that are inspiring you right now, Yarrow, and some people that we can, we can look to. Well, I just wanted to, you said something that sort of kicked a rock loose and, you know, as we're becoming more and more entrenched in our opinions and more polarized as a society and especially in the United States, um, I just, I watched sort of a phenomenon happen when uh, my stepdaughter, Olivia, shifted gears in speech and debate into short prep international policy and was basically given you know, five minutes to prepare for making an argument on behalf of either side of an issue. So I watched you go from like a very, very opinionated 16-year-old who had one way of doing things, like this is the truth and only the truth, to growing her empathy because she had to learn multiple facets of an issue. And she would wake up every morning and, and turn on four or five different news sources, BBC, NPR, CNN, Fox, and start to really become more well-rounded and then be able to lean into those conversations in a really uh, effective way. So that sort of growth of empathy if, creates a bridge between chasms. And if, if we're able to do that as a society and, and be more curious and patient uh, with each other, that empathy will go a long way in sort of, sort of restoring the balance that we're currently feeling out of balance. But so I would... You know, that's one thing that gives me hope. And, I'm, and we're also working on a couple of initiatives right now. We're doing uh, a hatch in the heartland. Next year, we're doing Mexico, Switzerland, heartland. And the heartland is interesting because there's a perception gap between the coasts and flyover country. And to go there and, and daylight and elevate the, the, the beautiful, a lot of amazing work that's being done in the, the sort of the breadbasket of, you know, the United States um, in a way that we are oftentimes sort of like inundated with like New York, LA, San Francisco, and um, these more metropolitan areas, there's a lot of really beautiful things that are happening in these rural areas as well. Um, and on top of that, we're also working with a series of trainers, Diane Hamilton, who you've worked with, to work on um, bridging those communication gaps uh, with people and trying to like add more skills to our quiver to more facilitative leadership to be able to bring those conversations closer together. So uh, those are some people that are inspiring me right now. Um, Diane Mitchell Hamilton, um, yourself, Tate Chamberlain with I Am Interchange, uh, and, you know, Olivia, who's I sort of watched grow from 16 to 18 and is a whole different person as a result of those um, being able to identify different sources of news the youth shall inherit. And thank God. We gladly pass the baton at any given moment. Brother, it's been an honor to have you if you were tuned in on the radio. Folks, what a gift to spend this time with my brother Yaro Craner and, and talk about the things that sometimes it doesn't have to just be topical. Sometimes it can just be about how. And hopefully you felt how and you've heard how today. If you are on any of the major streaming platforms, we're just getting warmed up. We're, we're about to pop into the next piece. If you are on the radio, thank you 
for your time, for your attention, for your intention. You are the fuel in the tank that makes this show go. You've been on better. I'm your host, Mark Brand. Yarrow, thank you so much for joining us. Mark, what an honor. Thank you so much for having me on. And I can't wait to give you a big hug in person. And folks, you already know what's going on here. If you if you are on any of the majors, of course, Better is an iHeart original, but we we like to share. So we're on Spotify and Apple Music or anywhere else that you digest your favorite podcasts and music. And we're moving into what we like to call the extra innings. And we just scratched the surface of something so incredibly important. And the people that Yaro just named are masters. Uh, masters in communication, facilitation, and bridging gaps. Right. And so the work that he's talking about that he's so excited about, and we're so excited about as an organization and as affiliates and people who are forming continually the network of networks, as Yarrow coined it. Right. How do we bring these very powerful groups of 100, 150 that are exponentially 15,000, 150,000 together to overlap? to communicate into places that are critical. And Diamusho Hamilton, who I would describe as my sensei, in non-facetiously taught me my skill set around integral or integral facilitation, which is a theory created by Ken Wilber, uh, which talks about full body, mind, heart, soul, essentially facilitation. So how do you, much like Olivia digesting all of the news and moving her empathy and intention and attention into the differences... How do you use your mind and your heart to remove bias, trauma from the conversation that you're about to have with somebody who you know is so different, but knowing that what's different makes it beautiful, what's different makes it a solution and that there is something to learn in every conversation versus saying, I'm coming with my point and like the judicial system, I either win or lose because none of those things are real. Right, It really is about meeting each other and melding those realities to create the future we all believe in. So Yaro, dive in a little bit more to the Heartland conversation, if you would, and also into Diane's role, into Tate's role, into Hatch's bigger role and where you're going, where we're going. Yeah, certainly. And something you just said sort of sparked a, um, a quote I heard from our mutual friend, Harold O'Neill, in our sameness we connect, in our differences we grow. And... In those differences, like, you know, if we're able to, as as humanity, maintain the curiosity of that difference and lean into it and learn from each other, there's so much. You know, we, you know, I watched uh, our 15-year-old Tate go to Africa this year to work with a bunch of youth over there and do like a soccer exchange and they all learn from each other. And it was amazing to watch how they came back and sort of you know, I said, what was your biggest takeaway? He's like, the people, like, well, how do you mean? He's like, well, if the people in this country were as nice as the people in that country, we'd have a much better country. And they're just like, everyone was waving at them and and giving high fives. And it was just like a lot of just sort of unbridled affection for fellow humans there. And it was a poignant um, observation. But the work that Diane Mushel-Hamilton has been doing with integral theory, um, a lot of the hatch facilitators that we have, like Pete Strom and Rachel Hicks and yourself, and uh, have all sort of come through the same sort of school, and it's adding another arrow to your quiver. I mean, we're doing a, a series of level up trainings um, starting next month, and we're really excited. It's an incredible twenty uh, four person cohort, um, but the idea is to just continue to sort of. 
um, help people grow these skill sets to have these increasingly difficult conversations that are popping up in our society. And I don't think that the the division of those conversations that we're faced with on a daily basis are going to be minimized anytime soon. I think it's sort of increasing right now. But also, no time like now for these warriors of light to have these skill sets to be able to bridge those conversations, to lean into it, not uh, away from it. So, you know, that and identifying sort of these acupuncture points is, is one way that I sort of visually think about them, um, of where the focus is needed. You know, Hatch, I feel, has kind of a heat map, you know, like finger in the pulse of where there's need, where there's pain, where there's opportunity. And as you, you know, you mentioned earlier with Jeff Leitner working in the SDGs in order, which is SDGs in order.org. Uh, he identified the, you know, which ones, which of the 1769 sub targets you could solve for that would create the most cascading effect and then stack rank those in order. Um, mm-hmm. And so identifying, you know, like there's a lot of innovation that's happening on the coasts, but there is also that innovation happening in the heartland. We're taking 150 people there. Um, we're also taking some, some entrepreneurs from the heartland to these other global summits that we're doing in Switzerland and Mexico. Uh, and the idea is sort of an inflow outflow two way exchange of, of ecosystem building where we're bringing um, people that are in rural areas to these larger opportunities and vice versa, bringing these global thinkers to that area um, in October of 2023. Um, we're hoping that becomes an annual uh, ecosystem as well. And then the one that's happening uh, the hatch that's, that's happening in Montreux, Switzerland, is really geared around um, more policy and uh, like UN ambassadors and, and country ambassadors and so forth. Um, but there will always be this sort of diagonal swath of curation. There's always, you know, people that are in the trenches of social impact. Um, I mean, if you have a bunch of CEOs in the room, nothing's going to get done. If you have a bunch of people that are only in social impact, they can't necessarily help accelerate each other. So you have to have this sort of pie chart of curation, this diverse uh, skill sets and, and the ways in which people sort of are able to help support each other. Yeah, and also the way that that has opened up is beautiful. So you just kicked a rock loose for me, which is you can't just plunk people in a room that are diverse and be like, good, good luck. Like, I I hope it's going to be cool because what you're doing is you're setting adversaries as they believe next to each other, right? So if you sit me in a room, I'm speaking at UNGA and across from me is somebody who's working on a seed bank, but they've created 17 seeds that they believe will rule them all, ultimately disrespecting and disregarding 6 billion people's (laughs) livelihood. And like, I have a preconceived notion of what that looks like now sit us next to each other intentionally in front of a poet or an artist or a musician and then allow us to have a conversation afterwards as human beings about where our perspective may change or shift. That's an entirely different animal. And that's what Hatch has always created um, because I get dropped in those other rooms (laughs) nine times out of ten and I'm expected to play nice and I'm expected to have respect and dignity and all these things for people who 
I believe don't share the same thing, but when you are put into this place and curation is specific and activity is specific and design is specific, you are able to break down those preconceived notions and genuinely see somebody's side. When you talk about the heartland, I was thinking, and you know this because I've talked to you multiple times on the road in 2017 where I met Harold O'Neill was on this bus tour through the center of America after 45 was elected. And the point of this bus tour for 17 days across five different states was to find out what happened in the center. And we brought together human beings who would be considered very, very, very far right and red. I brought a whole bunch of red save on meats hats and was like, I'm going to exchange these for MAGA hats. I got five done. But we were having conversations and ultimately what the center of the research, let's call it Yarrow, was, was people don't feel seen. They don't feel seen or cared for. If I was to distill it, everything that is wrong in the United States of America, people don't feel seen or cared for. Amen. I, mean, I, can, I can wax poetic about all the other subsets. I could give you literally a design thinking analogous 350 page book of that. Or I could just say, we don't see each other. And the pain. And when you've got you know, a fourth generation coal miner who's never had two pennies to rub together and he's being told that the villain is X, Y, and Z by people he trusts, that's who the villain is. There's no room for discussion. That's the villain. And that's the way out. And his people have been hurt because of X, uh, regardless of what the truth may be. So I love the focus on that uh, and the bringing to light the humanity of all of it is so incredibly important. Uh, and and it's, it's just a work, man. And it's an insurmountable amount of it, right? Yeah. It's one of the... One of the interesting sort of thought exercises that we used when we brought everyone onto the boat with, had sort of, you know, adversarial perspectives per se. Like there's big industry and there's people that are trying to save the planet. And, you know, everyone has someone to answer to. And the challenge for us was how quickly can we get people to let go of their identity through company or title and approach this as a human problem. And so we started asking people to write letters to themselves from 30 years in the future. It was a, it was a very meditative experience, to like literally take themselves, like, where are you? What's the setting? Like, um, and now write this letter, knowing that your children are going to read this letter or someone that you care for um, about what you did specifically about this challenge. And people had tears in their eyes. And you know, the design challenge for us is oftentimes, like, how quickly can we get people to sort of melt off that, that front veneer and, and approach this from, you know, a brother, a sister, a sibling, son, daughter, father, mother, um, because we're all sharing this big living room. And that's, uh, I don't know, that's sort of the, one of our more lofty goals is to just really identify um, people that can, understand, that can go through that thought exercise and approach this as, this, as if we're, you know, Earth is just a big living room. You, you've, you've heard many times about sort of the phenomenon that happens with astronauts when they get out into space and turn around and look back at that small, fragile planet, the pale blue dot. Um, if we could translate that to a, an experience that we could have in mass on the ground here, um, things would probably start accelerating in the right direction a little bit quicker. Couldn't agree more. The zoom out to zoom in is absolutely it. And yet the day-to-day -day pressures of the mass because of, and you, you said big C capitalism earlier, there's no space, you know, there's no, there's no space for people to breathe who will do the work and are, are already doing the work of the many, 
you know, there's no place to, to zoom out and do that. And, you know, we have a lot of very, very big hopes on what that looks like. And we saw during the pandemic little, little glimpses and tastes of UBI, of universal basic income. It's like, here, take this check and, like, don't worry about it. And people being like, I'm never going back to working in a restaurant again. <laughs> I'm never going back to this particular job because I finally had a moment to breathe and realized I'm wasting this one beautiful gift I have, which is this life. I'd rather live in the middle of nowhere with my family and enjoy their time than I would punch this clock to try and live in an urban setting that I actually don't give a fuck about. Or learn so a new those, skill that I'm passionate about. Yeah, those awakenings are it, man. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're really, really it. And, you know, we can talk about all the things that tie those together, psilocybin, medicine work, the stuff that allows us to see the planet for what it is without having to go out to space, like to see our attachment and to, to understand the fragility of us um, and the importance of us. Um, <laughs> and all of the things that we know from our heart centers, man. I think it's, you know, I, if I had a nickel for every time I put my arm around you, day five after a summit was like, I just wish everybody could feel this. Mm. And there's, there's, no, there's no substances in our system aside from love. You know what I mean? We're really just in that place of like, I wish they could see these leaders who are reading off a piece of paper most of the time being themselves because they really do care. And I, you know, I think we are moving in that direction and thank you for centering the work that corporates are doing, that they are, they've been forced, you know, you and I have been yelling this for many years, like either get on board, you know, it's coming for you. Um, and regardless, and our friend John Hagel also saying like, it has to be the people in the organization versus trying to move the tanker. It's got to be the captain of the ship. That stuff is, is critical. And you are, if you are listening, whatever influence that you command the respect of, the love of, the intention of within your own networks, that's a responsibility that you hold, right? It's, it's a thing that people hold and like how you show up and how you're a great friend and how you become a great leader and, and how you start in your own backyard, which is where you started us, is really, really important, man. So let me ask you this, and this will be, I think, maybe our final big prompt for the day. You know, it is 2022, it's almost 2023, Time almost seems like it's, like it's accelerating for me. I don't know about all you out there, but it feels like it's moving faster and then liquid slow, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure which it's going to be each day. How do we spend our beautiful moments? How do we balance it? What does it look like as a, you know, not, I won't say new family man, but relatively new family man, you know, things of importance change. Our perspective changes. And so if I'm listening at home right now, how am I balancing out everything I just heard, Yarrow? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. Um, <laughs> I actually had a, an, um, an experience recently where I was on a Zoom call with twenty other sort of ecosystem builders, and the facilitator asked the question like, "Hey, if you only had four months to live, what would you do?" And there's almost kind of a cynical part of my mind where it was kind of like, "Oh, geez, the four month to live question." And then he said, <laughs> and he said, and this question has specific relevance for me personally, because I just got diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and I was told I had four months to live. And I was like, oh shit, okay, I'm paying attention. Um, mm. And in that moment, we you know, went into breakout groups and people started talking and, and I just noticed something in myself, like historically for me, I would be like, okay, I'm getting up one extra hour earlier and going to bed one extra hour later. I'm just going to push the pedal to the metal and try to squeeze as much impact in as possible within these last four months. That would like sort of typically be what my response would be. And instead it was like I was sort of at this 
fork in the road mentally is like a, just kind of a visual, you know, moment where I was like, oh, well, that would be what I would normally say. But there's also this other road where I might just go sit by a river with people I love and, mm. and just slow it way down and, you know, smell the pines and think about, you know, listen to the babbling brook and, and, and just spend quality moments with people I care about. And that was like a, I don't know, felt sort of like a grown up, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, almost a little bit selfish. And I want, yeah, I, I sort of was holding all these different truths and tensions around that of like, do you go make more impact? Or, I mean, of course, you know, there's sort of the savior syndrome too that we all need to be sort of mindful of. There's a lot of people doing really good work out there. And it doesn't always have to be like one or two people thinking that they're the ones that are doing the work. There's like so many people doing incredible work. But there was like a reset of family and friends that sort of popped into my mind in that moment. And um, I don't know, I thought it was quite lovely. There's a practical answer to that question from also... If I don't even know if I want the practical one. I'm going to interrupt for a second and just let us breathe that part in because fuck that... Man, let's just hold. Like, I know you won't lose that thought. You're too fucking smart. But like that, that to hear you say that, you got to understand how that feels for me. Like, you have to understand how that feels for me to receive that from you. After what we've just been doing for the last ten years, is that is such a, a monumental thing to say. It can be both. It has to be both. We don't know, so it yeah. has to be both. So thank you. Okay, I'm, I'm, done, I'm done interrupting. <laughs> Please continue, sir. Well, I, th- I think, you know, a lot of people sort of, when we start talking about these like larger existential crises, there's a sort of a moment of paralysis. Of, like, what, what can I even possibly do? And there are some pretty tactical, um, like Project Drawdown. It's drawdown.org. Um, lists some things that you can do at home. And, and there are, Pretty low lift, honestly. And if we did that in mass, um, starts to add up and make a big difference. And so, there are there are those lists of solutions that I think are worth taking a look at. There's a movie that came out recently called Kiss the Ground. It's mm. the first climate movie that I've ever seen that actually mathematically shows how it's possible to save this planet long term. It's on Netflix. Um, like literally at the one hour mark, it starts running you through all the math of the carbon sequestration and so forth. And it was just like, oh, wow. Like this one sort of shows us that, yeah, we're in trouble, but it's also possible for us to move out of this if we're, you know, synchronized about it. So, Yeah. And just double-clicking on the Kiss the Ground as an organization, um, also as the film. The film is a great introduction to what you can do and that org I actually met. Uh, and you're, you paired me up with a young woman who's working for them to mentor them briefly in the Panama jungle. And I remember sitting down and learning what they did. And I was like, okay, I instantly became the mentee, um, which is the beauty of life, right? And, and understanding carbon sequestration and what the possibility is there is is monumental. So please folks do, do check that out. And then I'm going to, I'm going to loop us back. Um, because I think what you said earlier is just too powerful not to, 
to use as, as a close to this particular conversation, which will be one of many that we'll share with this audience. And, you know, again, always very grateful for your time and knowing how insanely busy you are. Um, you prioritize this and you prioritize this interview um, professionally and as a friend the same way you prioritize our friendship. You're like, yep, I'm going to drop this shit and I got you. Um, so I understand that gift and deeply respect and appreciate it. And when you think about the time that you spend with your loved ones, you and I always manage to somehow squeeze in 15 to 22 minutes together whenever we're running around the world. That's all we need. You know, that's you and I will touch down and get to work. And that's, it's always been our modality because there's so much love and respect and intentionality there. And um, make no mistake, folks, we also butt heads. <laughs> and, and for the best ways, I've grown in some of the hardest ways because of lessons that I've got to watch through your eyes. So I'm, I'm grateful for those too. But I'm also very in this moment... Um, drawn to share that you don't know how many of them you have with somebody and there will always be more work there's always going to be more work tomorrow and there's always going to be more crises and you know in 2093 if we do you know and all of my prayers and hopes and thoughts and energy will go into that that tapestry of sdgs being solved there will be more (laughs) <laughs> there will be a meteor. There will be something. And so to, to prioritize that river walk or being next to the people you love in the moments that you have with them, uh, I hope is the takeaway from today. Uh, you know, there's a lot to do, but um, there's also a lot of love that you need to, to focus on. So brother, I mean, what can I even say? Right? Thank you. Uh, thank you, brother. Thank you for the work that you're doing. You inspire me every day. So, and I love you like a brother. And I think that that parting message is, is powerful. You know, how do you save the world? Start with where you are, and that includes inter- inside of yourself uh, with self-work and meditation and healing and so forth, and also your family and the people that are immediately around you. And, and so, yeah, thank you for centering that. And that's it. Folks, there isn't going to be a long flowery exit to this one. We're we're (laughs) going to let that one hang just as it is. Um, Thank you for tuning in. As always, your intention and attention is what powers this thing. Uh, Love you, my dude. And and can't wait to see you in person. Folks, it's been Yarrow Craner. All the links will be in where all the links are. 